This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle Earth. calls for aid and Brog shall answer there it is Amandine welcome to light the beacons a Lotro podcast focusing on the shimmering MMO RPG Lord of the Rings online as well as related topics in books movies gaming and the lore of Gerarar Tokian this is episode number 13 lucky 13 and I'm your host Brag of the Lonely Mountain engineer of Naladom provost and dwarf of ill repute back after the beacons were dark last week due to my guest appearance on lotro players news episode 61 which they named in honor of the poem i offered for pineleaf and ode to pineleaf i want to send a formal thanks out to all the gang over there at lotro players news uh, especially those who have been so um, supportive via social media you know who you are and uh, I had a blast doing the podcast. It was a lot of fun. Uh, rubbing elbows with the uh, Lotro Cognoscente, so to speak. It was a great time. Um, for those who might have caught uh, my appearance over there and uh, are checking out Light the Beacons per- for perhaps the first time, uh, based on their recommendation, I want to say uh, welcome to any new viewers that we have. And uh, for those of you who uh, have been here before, you know it, and I know it, so I want to settle it once and for all. Look, just get it through your head. You're not viewers. You, you just aren't. You Stop trying to pretend to be something you're not. Um, you know, I know it, you know it, and you're living in a fantasy land. Uh, so stop trying to pretend you're something you're not. Unless, of course, you happen to be playing an RPG. Which is kind of the whole point of being in an MMO in the first place. In which case, keep deluding yourself and enjoy. View on. Be that as it may, let's light our second beacon. Ilenoch. Okay, it's time for CRA. Corrections, retractions, and apologies from the last week. It's usually the largest part of the podcast. But against all odds, everything I said on this podcast last week was true. Every single thing that I said on this podcast last week was true. All right. I didn't have a podcast last week. I was on Lotro Players News. Um, I even made Pine Leaf laugh, and that was worth the price of admission, especially since it was free. So I don't have any corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. But um, I do have some viewer comments. First of all, I wanted to give a shout-out to my homegirl, Harus, H-E-R-U-I-C-C, of Vilya, on making it to level 100. Uh, there's a lot of heavy-duty gamers out there. don't think that's big of a deal, but you and, I, you and I know how big of a deal it was for you. You're my girl, Harus. you my girl. I am proud of you, and way to go. Okay, I did have a viewer comment from last week. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Flosine, who left a comment on the podcast at likethebeacons.com, as you all can as well. Uh, he mentioned as far as gear, uh, his guard has about five jewelry pieces and a two-handed weapon for DPS solo. Uh, that is a, a setup many guards use for soloing, two-handed, uh, two-handed legendary item that has, uh, you know, mostly... Uh, DPS-type skills associated with it, usually including maximization of bleeds and, uh, you know, shield, uh, foregoing some of the shield legacies that are available. Um, I used to have a two-handed LI for soloing as well, and uh, I've given it up. <laughs> Not to say I won't do it again at some point, just for a change of pace, but, um, you know, I didn't find that it was 
that much faster than going sword and board in a lot of circumstances, or at least at the time I didn't feel like it. Um, you know, with a shield, you can just take on a larger group of mobs, and uh, you know, when you're doing uh, AOE attacks against eight mobs at a time, um, they go down pretty quickly overall. Uh, certainly, two-handed is better for when there's fewer mobs available and you're uh, focusing on uh, one or two targets at a time. Uh, not that you can't AOE with a two-hander, but um, it's just uh, you know a different a different setup. So I may go back to that at some point. Right now, I'm sticking with sword and board, uh, especially since I have a level 100 first ager. Uh, Floson also mentions his uh, captain, who is his main, has a full set of jewelry for tanking and DPS. I uh, didn't mention where he got that from. I imagine some of it may have come from big battles. Um, he hopes to get a slottable armor piece and have uh, four tactical mastery essences all built into it to boost his healing. So that's certainly stacking one of the stats, which is one of the things that essence armor, essence-related armor, allows you to do. I'm interested in seeing how other players set up some of those essence armor sets uh, now that they're coming into play. Um, I, I imagine stacking one or two specific areas um, as high as possible may be a popular way to go. Um, I think it's uh, something for the min-maxers to weigh in on, probably on the forums. So checking back occasionally and see what kind of builds are out there is probably going to be an effective use of time. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the agenda for this episode. We're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game this week, of course. I'm going to talk a little bit about what I've been doing out of Lotro as well, including a little old game that some of you may know that involves raiding tombs. Uh, I'm going to premiere a new and special sponsored demo segment, which should be fun. We're going to explore the different permutations of aging kinships in our main topic. And lastly, we are not going to be speaking with Lindsey Buckingham this week. He's had enough, and apparently so have I. So what did Björning say to the lore master pet? Bear with me, and let's light our third beacon. Nardal. This week in Lotro, another Tokyo news. We've got two weeks worth of stuff. So a lot of topics to cover. One of the things I did this past week was to cycle through all my characters and finally set up their trait trees uh, from the update. I've been uh, focusing on Bragg and enjoying the new content so much that I uh, hadn't logged in on a number of my other alts in Vilia. And, uh, you know, went through and specced out their trees so that they were ready for action if I wanted to go and, um, you know, start start doing some adventuring with some of my other characters. So I definitely think this is something where, um, you know, right after you set up your tree, if you don't use your character for a while, you're going to want to log in and take a look at those trait trees, remind yourselves of some of the set bonuses that you've reached with the skills. Um, you know, some of the things, what I tried to do is set up and pour points into skills that I know I use heavily in my typical rotations. Uh, of course, those rotations might change if I haven't played a character heavily since the trait tree changes. So it's something you have to might have to revisit from time to time. But um, they're at least ready to go at this point with an initial build that I think will be advantageous for me. One thing I did notice is I, when I logged in on some of those tunes I hadn't logged in on in a while, is uh, some of them came up with old quests being bestowed to them um, that, you know, from who knows how many levels ago, 20, 30, 40 levels ago at some point. For example, I think I uh, logged in on my hunter, and I got a, a quest from the Troll Shaws popped up and, and popped into my quest log. It was one of the ones uh, with the cabin that's down in the southeast area, like near the river crossing, uh, where Gollum appears and, uh, you know, is raiding food from one of the, you know, from off the guy's windowsill, I believe. You guys may remember that one. And it just popped into my quest log, and I, I was not able to dismiss it. Um, so I could take it on my quest log, but I couldn't cancel it. And I noticed that happened with one or two other characters as well, picking out quests from previous areas. So that sounds like a um, little bit of a bug uh, that hopefully will be sorted through by buying shortly. Uh, I did start working around there right now, mostly through doing epic questing quests and maybe some of my favorites from the landscape in Gondor. I will have to say, you know, I was weighing back and forth between whether to play my captain or my minstrel next, 
and he decided that Minstrel um, would be a better change uh, just to play a squishy versus a heavy. Um, so that was the main reason why I wanted to try that, just to see what the level of challenge was and some of the quests that I found fairly easy as a guard. So my first impression is that second time through on the epic quest line is pretty quick and streamlined when you're not doing all the landscape content around it. Um, you know, it's, it's shorter than I remembered. <laughs> Uh, you know, just because uh, typically I would empty all the quests in a quest sub area that the epic led me to before moving on. So doing just the epic quest lines is a good way to reinforce what the epic story is versus some of the other storylines that you pick up as you travel around the country. Uh, and I got uh, Brazil all the way through the area of Edhelion, um, you know, the abandoned, uh, well, abandoned but monitored uh, Elven Harbor. Uh, that's northeast of Dal Amroth. Uh, so that's a pretty dense area with um, you know a fair number of pathers, and not just pathers, but sprinting pathers, uh, which is kind of fun. I think you know I don't know what they're doing, running up and down the docks like they're you know they dropped their shoes or something. But um, but it certainly provides for some interesting uh, combat if you don't pull your guy out of the kind of busy uh, area. Um, you can end up with three or four mobs uh, pretty quickly for a squishy, which can be challenging. But I was able to make it all the way through at Helion on the epic quest line uh, with no deaths. Uh, so I was happy about that. Uh, so the, the mini DPS is pretty pretty strong. So you can burn down some fellows pretty fast if you focus on them. Throw in some cords of salvation to keep yourself afloat until you can get those first one or two down. Then you can afford a uh, little bit longer breaks for some of the longer heals. And if you draw one too many, uh, shouting off a you know a quick fear, or I think it's cry, um, you know, quick fear skill to send one of them running about, um, you know, it was usually enough to be able to deal with four, maybe five at a time if I blew a cooldown or two, and I didn't have to do any flopping or anything like that, so that was pretty neat. I did pick up a universal solvent in that area. That's not a bad landscape drop. It's one of the new materials involved in crafting essences. Um, I went and looked at the auction house to see what those are going for. I thought it might be a bit of a treasure trove. And they were expensive, but not, not nearly as uh, expensive as I, th I thought they would be. I saw a number of them sitting out there for about 30 gold on the AH on Vilia. Uh, so, you know, pretty good landscape drop, but not, you know, super expensive, which I think is positive. That must mean that there's a decent amount of them out there. But this was the first one that I'd seen drop, and you know, obviously I've taken my main all the way through every quest, uh, you know, in the expansion at this point before I ran into one with my second tune. So I don't know if that's just bad luck on my part or what, but uh, we'll we'll see if we acquire any more, and I'll probably be putting that solvent to use uh, fairly shortly. Um, so right now I'm running around doing the intro to Dal Amroth quests and uh, should be at the end of the epic there shortly. Um, you know, obviously I'm under-leveled compared to where Bragg was when he did the final uh, epic instance where he fought the Nazgul. So it'll be interesting to see how a squishy does in that instance uh, that's under-leveled, if I'll be able to handle it at, you know, probably level 98, or if I'll be able to have to go back and, and maybe do some more leveling and, and see, uh, see if that's necessary. I'm imagining I'm not going to have... Uh, a lot of trouble, but certainly it'll be more challenging than it was with my guard. Um, so after I finish the epic with my minstrel, uh, you know, it's, I have to choose between doing some landscape quests in Gondor to get her up to level 100. And I'm starting to lean towards, believe it or not, going back to Rohan for the additional quest experience that I need to get to level 100 on, uh, on my mini. And why would I do that? Well... <laughs> Uh, Rohan quest lines have class trade points waiting at the end of the chain, and uh, Gondor quests don't. And uh, I think you know most players that are serious about maxing their abilities want those class trade points. So uh, you can't get them in Gondor. So I can imagine uh, I'll be returning with some of my alts uh, back to Rohan to finish those quest lines uh, to get them up to 100. Uh, but I'll probably pick another tune to go through all the Gondor quests again just to kind of experience them with a different tune at some point as well. We'll mix it up. So what I've been doing on Bragg, well, um, Bragg was able to execute a flawless Helmsdyke run uh, that resulted in him receiving his, I think, 
97, 98, 99th, and 100th promo point. Uh, I think he's up to like 102 total. But uh, passing the 100 point promo point threshold with a platinum run on Helm's Dyke uh, enabled him to get that all important class trait point from Big Battles. Um, so I was very happy to achieve that. And I saw it check off in my Big Battle panel. They have two little uh, visual indicators there at the bottom where you can see if you've achieved those class, those class trait points, and one of them turned to an achievement medal for me. And I didn't get the class trait point. <laughs> so guess what? Uh, at least for me, it looks like it was bugged. I, I, I achieved, uh, exceeded that level 100-point level, checked it and double-checked it, and I had not received the class trait point that I was due from it. So I bugged it. And about uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, I uh, had a dev come on board and help me out. His name was Crymux, K-R-Y-M-U-X. And I was kidding with him that it sounded like he was saying, All right, hey, users, you cry much? Whining about all your problems? But Crymux to the rescue. He had everything fixed uh, once he joined me, took a look at the problem, and uh, had it fixed within a minute or two of joining me in chat. And uh, asked me if I could do anything else. I told him to check out lightthebeacons.com, <laughs> and he said he would. So just in case he actually was being genuine about that, Crymux, I want to thank you for your help. And a shout-out to you for, uh, for the quick response. Um, you know, some people may think 10 or 15 minutes to wait for, uh, you know, wait for uh, game support in-game is a long time. I think it's fairly reasonable. Um, and uh, certainly once he was able to join me, uh, he was able to resolve the issue quickly. So I responded to Turbine's uh, you know, request for feedback regarding that interaction and gave him positive marks. Thanks again, Crymux. Really appreciate it. Uh, besides that, Bragg's been doing his Dol Amroth daily updates. Um, he made Kindred with Dol Amroth uh, about, you know, pretty close to after the last podcast two weeks ago. Um, went to the awards vendor. Really, the thing I was most interested in getting there at that point from Kindred was the port. Uh, so I picked that up. And aside from that, uh, as far as the different quest areas around Dol Amroth, I was able to get Kindred with Great Hall and the Armory, which opened up new training exercise options. Um, I think I also got Warehouse in the last couple days. And Mason's, um, the Mason's one, which just opened up recently, is not far off already. So it looks like to me that's, so that's about one, two, three, four, five. I think it's five out of the seven different Dal Amroth um, daily areas. Looks to me like the bank and the docks are going to be the two that are going to be left over uh, probably this week. Um, and that makes a little bit of sense because the bank is uh, the quests that are in... Um, Tarling's Crown and uh, finding group I've found groups to do that a couple times but it's been a little more difficult of late they've been a little more difficult to round up and I'll talk about that a little later and the docks um, which is the fishing quest I have done the fishing quest a few times but uh, I think the docks is one of those areas where the rep is only 250 instead of 500 and I haven't been doing them a ton so, uh, of course, there's only three available with the Lamidon Turtles. Lamidon Turtles still unavailable due to exploit. Uh, we'll see if those guys come back in line soon. Oh, and of course, uh, the Path of the Dead discipline with the Swan Knights will be waiting whenever that's unlocked on Vilya. Um, and we're making good progress against that as well. So I did notice, uh, you know, I started, since I've been generating some decent amount of tokens through the daily training exercise runs and doing the other dailies, I uh, was checking out the armor vendors and had plenty of tokens to achieve some of the armor pieces, but the armor was not available, would not let me purchase. So what gives? So you guys may have noticed already, some of you may have noticed, that in order to get an armor piece from, say, the Guardian Trainer in Dol Amroth, you need silver tokens and gold tokens, and faction tokens, let's say um, tokens from the Great Hall reputation area. And there's one more thing you need. You need all of the deeds completed, or, or the deed completed for that area. So all the quests associated with the Great Hall. And uh, that is not very well indicated on the barter vendor. 
So in order to get the deed completed, first of all, you have to get uh, full faction reputation uh, to get access to the training exercise quests. So, um, so you have to, for example, you have to grind Great Hall tokens. Um, you, know, you can get those most often through the Great Hall quests available as dailies, but they can come from the other ones too, just less frequently. And once you have enough quests uh, tokens for the Great Hall, you can um, double-click on them all to turn them into rep. And once you have all the rep uh, for the Great Hall, then the training exercise where you reclaim the Great Hall becomes available to you. In order to complete the deed for the Great Hall, you need all the quests from the, from, that you've done from the dailies, as well as all the quests for the Great Hall that are available in the training exercise quest. Um, so if you open up your quest log for Gondor and look under Great Hall, there might be 11 or 12, four from the dailies, and then another six or seven or eight that are available through the training exercises. And you might have to do that training exercise, you know, two, three, four times to get all those different quests. Once you have that deed completed, then you get access to the barter vendor armor piece uh, for that area. So it's it's not a bad mechanic. Um, you know, I, I got that done. I got my leggings piece from the Great Hall. So that's done. Um, it's worth getting in my mind because, uh, at least for the guards, the two-set piece bonus is not bad. There's a 15-second reduction off the cooldown for the guards' best skill, uh, Guardian's Pledge. So I may keep those uh, two pieces I've gotten from the Guardian Trainer and fill the other four pieces in with Essence Gear, which looks to be worth having from what I've heard. So I'm okay with this being required as uh, kind of the output of grinding the dailies. But the issue I have that I want to talk about is, can it be noted somehow with the barter vendor? Um, you know, all you see is a red outline around the barter vendor tokens, and you have enough tokens. Nowhere, if you mouse over it, does it indicate, that I found at least, that you need to have the whole deed completed for that Great Hall area in order to be able to vend for the barter piece. Um, so the note says you're at max reputation, but not that you need the deed completed in order to complete the transaction. I had to go out to a player guide uh, that I found out in the forums to understand that. So why do you have to go to a player guide to understand this mechanic? Um, it should be indicated somehow with the barter vendor. You know, wouldn't be that hard to do to indicate that a specific deed needs to be completed before you can vend for that piece. And if that's not the answer, then where are the dev guides? Where are the dev guides coming from Turbine that explain how this process is supposed to work? I should not have to search the forums to find a player-generated guide to understand what's required. So, Turbine, bit of a fail. Um, where are the dev guides in general for this latest update? I guess that's one of the things that may have fallen by the wayside when uh, Lotro cut their staff back, and I consider it a loss. So moving on from that rant, uh, as far as the server-wide quests um, are concerned, Aaron Emmel is now open up out on um, out on Vilia. So we got access to those caves, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. Uh, I think the Pass of the Dead um, is sitting at 6,700 right now on August 26th. Out of the twelve thousand needed, and it, you know, since they opened Aaron Emil, and the tokens are all being um, focused on the past of the dead area, it looks like we've been averaging in between eight hundred to a thousand tokens a day. So my guess is um, a little over a week, we're going to have the paths of the dead open on Vilia, which will be fun. I haven't seen how many other servers have them opened up at this point. I'll have to check that out. Um, my idea is, remember the Bounders Bounty, obviously, the, the only other server-wide uh, unlocks that we, well, they had them way back in the SOA days, I guess, with the uh, the quest, uh, the battles outside of Garth Forthner had a mechanic where they had to be done a certain number of times um, in order to be able to open up those battles. So that is something that's been around for a while, but uh, the most recent example is the Bounders Bounty, and obviously the top givers for the Bounders Bounty uh, got their names immortalized on the plaque in Mickle Delving. So here's my idea for the server-wide quest. I think the largest donators should get their names tattooed um, in the form of a plaque on the swans in the nearby fountains. Or maybe if that's going too far, perhaps they can just name a swan for their tune. 
that swims around in the fountain with the guy's name on it. I think that'd be fun. Um, okay, so besides that, I wanted to talk a little bit about Tarling's Crown, because I did do some questing through there. Um, cleared a, a number of things that were in my log as far as the initial quests in the area, and went and did uh, some dailies as well. And um, completing a certain number of quests in Tarling's Crown is one of the deeds for the area and is associated, w I believe, with the, I want to say it's with the uh, warehouse uh, area within Dol Amroth. may be wrong on that, but that's from my memory. So the problem with Tarling's Crown is they have this tiered quest design where you've got to clear all the opening quests in order to get open to the dailies. And what it does is it puts the raid groups that are out there on different sets of objectives. Um, some of them are doing dailies. Some of them are doing the initial quest completions. Um, you know, some of them are doing PV quests uh, that take multiple tiers to complete. And you get groups together, and they're not all focusing on the same thing because of this. They did the same thing with um, Limlight Gorge back when they came out with it. Um, and in the Great River region. So, you know, there were all these quest areas that you had to have a group to open up before you could even do the dailies. And as, you know, as the fear in, in, to get that done kind of dies down with the initial groups that pass through, either people come late to the game or they bring alts through on a second pass and they can't get the, they can't get the group quest opened up that everyone's doing now because the initial quests, you know, are still in their log and need to be completed. And no one wants to do those initial quests. You have to like do someone a big favor to help them open those up, because they were kind of a pain in the neck to do. So you know this is this is a mistake in design. Um, Bragg fixes Lotro. What I really think they need to do is for these group areas on the landscape going forward, is figure out a way to make them soloable to open up the dailies. Um, you know maybe on the fringe areas there's some soloable content. Or you get some kind of inspiration buff or something along those lines where you can open up the group dailies, then group. Or at least change the opening quests to solo mode when the next service pack comes out so that people trailing the big front wave can still get in on the group activities um, you know, and have that be consolidated. So that's how Bragg's fixing Lotro this week. What else has he been doing in game? Like I said, there's been a lot going on. So the other thing that I've been working on, apart from Dole Amroth dailies, is the meta deed for Savior of Lothlorien. Uh, listen, I know most people out there, you've, a lot of you viewers out there, finished these up three or four years ago. You know whether you were viewing or not at that time is debatable. But give a proud pugger a break. I never pursued it that seriously, really, until I could start soloing uh, Darnabagood to get the troll deed done in there alone. I'd been in Darnabagood, I'd run that instance uh, with a group, with a raid, and finished off the bosses. But to go back and do it three, four, five, six times to finish off the troll deed, um, you know, didn't find that many groups, you know, not being part of a raiding kin that, uh, uh, that did that. So until I could solo DN, you know, that opening room as my guard, um, you know, never really considered going back and finishing off that deed. Um, so this past week, uh, I did achieve the Engineer of Naladum title, which is a completion of all the boss in there, as well as a few Slayer deeds. And the pain in the neck one is the Slayer of the Water Lizards that are in there. So the advanced deed, the initial deed is 120 that you need to kill, and the advanced deed is 240, so 360 total Water Lizards. Um, you know, it doesn't seem that outlandish, it's a lot, but we're talking about an instance, guys. How many water lizards do you get a run uh, of the water wheels? About 25. <laughs> Without accelerators, you get 25 lizards per run. So how many runs does that turn out to be? 4, 8, 12, 13, 4, about 15 runs of the water wheels on a solo basis to get the advanced water lizard title uh, without accelerators just ridiculous guys i mean you got to consider the slayer deed numbers when you're looking at it in an instance versus not even running the water wheels you know three four five times back in the day when it was new in a group um you know i still had to go back and grind it another eight nine ten times in order to get the deed done that's just silly uh, so now I'm on to slaying Merivale in Lumulnar in order to get the Wild Goat, which comes with the Savior of Lothlorien Deed. 
does look like a pretty goat. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, the Maryvale I'd done a number of times, obviously, as well. I've got about 140 to go in there. But the last solo run I did, um, I actually got, I think, uh, close to 35 or 40 of them. So uh, I should be able to clear those out in another three or four full runs of that instance uh, using the solo option. Of course, I could group if I could find someone that wanted to do it. But the problem is it's a long instance to run um, if you haven't done it before. You don't even get Maryvale initially. You have to burn your way through uh, some wolves and a wolf boss. So, uh, you know, there's no use in clearing out the first part and then, like, dropping it and reforming and clearing out the first part. You really, to get most of the Maryvale, you have to go all the way to the end. That's where you get most of them at the, the final puzzle and, uh, and the boss. If you lose the challenge mode by killing all the ones around the disc um, at the end, that's where you get most of the kills from. So you pretty much got to run the whole thing. So Luminar is a cool instance. Um, it was always a little too long, though. I think everybody agrees. And if you don't know the puzzles well with the mirrors, you end up fumbling around with those, and it takes twice as long. Well, I pretty much know what I'm doing by now with the mirrors. <laughs> and by the time I run it another three or four times, I think I have it all set. And I may never want to run it again at that point. But uh, one thing I was noticing when I was doing the final boss room that had really, really occurred to me before is that I believe the intent when you're doing that final fight is that you're in the rafters of the fanged pit in Moria, east of Jazzergund. And I never really realized that uh, you know, until I was looking over the edge and down the size of the cavern. I said, this looks familiar. I think we're supposed to be suspended above the fanged pit uh, east of Jag at Jazzergund, you know, the giant kind of cavernous area where the Moravil are. And uh, you know, I think that's pretty neat. Um, if you've ever done that area and the quest in that area, which, you know, I know a lot of people don't do because it's kind of, you got to wind your way through all the crevices up there and it's not exactly effective questing, maybe a little better with the revamp. Um, there's a little place, uh, on the Southeast corner of that giant room, you know, where one of the culminating battles you fight with Moraville while she flees and runs away is in there. And it kind of sets up the Lumulnar instance and you're on top of a giant tower. And if you look up kind of towards the south um, south and east away from the tower, you see kind of a bridge, uh, kind of a stalactite bridge that reaches from the tower and goes up into the rafters, and then the bridge is broken, but on the other side of the broken bridge, you can see the um, the uh, the stalactite bridge leads to a little door that is in the ceiling. Um, and I, I love places like that. I'm like, oh, what, what is that door? Why did they build that? Where does that go? Uh, obviously you can't reach it, but it just kind of makes you wonder why it was there in the first place. And, uh, you know, there's little doors like that hidden all over Moria. You know, maybe they were going to build out more of them, or maybe they just wanted to have little places ensconced around the map that, uh, you know, leads you to believe it's, you know, even bigger and grander than what you can discover. Um, you know, there was another door like that that I remember that was a level 100 door in the waterworks. Um, when it first came out, it was level 100. No, it said level 100. You couldn't get, you couldn't walk through it. And as it turned out, that eventually turned out to be the front door to the waterworks. So I suspect that the door in the ceiling of the fanged pit was actually supposed to be an access way to Lomomar originally, or maybe the way out uh, at the end of the instance. And they just never ended up kind of connecting it, but I anticipate that it's related. Let me know if you agree. So, um, working on Savior of Lothlorien, and each time I complete a metadata, I say, you know, that may be the last one. <laughs> you know, Shadows of Angmar, that was a long grind. I don't know if I want to do that one again. You know, Savior of Kazadum, that was a long grind. I don't know if I want to do that again. So, now I'm finishing off Savior of Lothlorien. And the next one out there is uh, associated with Mirkwood, um, the Mirkwood meta deed. And, uh, you know, looking at the, the log that I have regarding what's what's outstanding for that, there's the Tower of Dolguldur um, and a lot of rescues necessary in the in the dungeon deeds. So I've done the dungeon instance before, and I've, I've actually um, was on people that were uh, farming it. You know, just by killing the warden in the first room, that was a popular uh, way to generate rewards. Um, 
you know, without worrying about freeing all the prisoners. But I've heard horror stories about trying to free all the prisoners and get all the deeds done in the dungeon. So I'm not really sure if that's something that's that's easily soloable or um, is easy to do in general, even with a group. Um, so if, if any of the viewers out there have done, and, you know, guys I know, but you got to view the dungeon, right? So if any of you have done the dungeon deeds for, um, for the Merkwood meta deed, uh, let me know if that was soloable or if it was easy to do or if it was a pain in the neck. I kind of suspect is the latter. Um, you know, I'd also need a few of the challenge deeds in BG that I've, that I've never completed. So meh, maybe someday we will see. All right. Lastly, um, well, not last, second to lastly, the treasure hunt opened up this past weekend and lo and behold, there's a new reward out there for cave claw pets. As a matter of fact, there's five different kinds. And I happened to be doing something on my computer for most of the day this past weekend where it was fairly easy for me to just cut over, uh, pick up a couple free picks every 15 minutes and occasionally run the berry quest. And I did it kind of in a distracted day, day and a half. I generated the 500 tokens required for a cave claw pet. And I went out there and I got the treasure hunter cave claw. Um... So I went out, uh, I was trying to pick between the five different options that were available, and I went out to the forums and I found um, someone who had posted pictures of all the different options. And, you know, 500 tokens is a long grind, especially if you don't like the treasure hunt. I actually don't mind it. There's a certain kind of mindless rhythm to it. It's kind of fun to release a cave troll and follow him to a hole. Um, it's not terrible. I, don't, I know some people that hate it. Uh, I'm pretty tired of it right now, I can tell you that. So I was reading online, this guy had pictures of all the cave claws, and the reason he had pictures of all the cave claws is because he had ground out the 3,000 tokens necessary to get all six. <laughs> Some people have way too much time on their hands, but more power to them. And last thing I wanted to note was, as far as the opening of M and Ernal, um, the new cave area that uh, is now open on Vilia. Um, I believe that name is actually mentioned in the lore of the region, so it has uh, it has some roots in Tokian's lore. And first impression of the cave area, uh, it's okay. Uh, it's fairly extensive. It has a few levels to it that are in there, um, and a hole or two that you can actually fall through if you're not paying attention. And uh, it's nothing really that special as far as I'm concerned. I was hoping for something more akin to like the Pit of Iron was in uh, Isengard in terms of scope and scale and coolness factor, especially after having to wait through a server-wide unlock. Um, so, you know, it's okay. Uh, I was expecting a bit more. Um, I haven't explored every single crevice of it. Maybe there's an area that I'm missing, but, you know, slightly underwhelmed. Uh, not a bad addition, but, you know, not that impressive. I thought the Cave of the Avorum was actually cooler. So, uh, at least we know the Pass of the Dead, uh, when that's unlocked, is going to be pretty awesome. So, we've already seen pieces of it, and we know it looks great. So, we got that to look forward to now instead. And I think that is more than enough for us at this stage. So, uh, talking about what Bragg has been doing in Lotro. So, let's move on to our next beacon. Aralas. Okay. In Aralas this week, our fourth beacon, I wanted to depart the shores of Middle-earth briefly to talk a little bit about a steam sale that I took advantage of a month or two ago to pick up a copy of the, I think it's 2011 or 12 version of Tomb Raider. And I took advantage of a Steam sale to do so. I can't remember the exact amount. I want to say it was either maybe four ninety nine or even seven forty nine. Uh, but in any event, I believe it was a bargain. Um, I believe I mentioned acquiring this game previously, and it sat for probably a few weeks or maybe even a month or two while I contemplated what game I wanted to focus on next outside of Lotro. Uh, that game might have been The Secret World if the launcher had not been down when I tried to play. Um, also, Skyrim still awaits, but I know that is going to be a massive undertaking. I've heard people say, um, you know, they spent 250, 300 hours on it or more. So Skyrim will wait some more. 
It's kind of like the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. I, I looked at it. Every time I wanted to read a new fantasy series, I looked at it with 12 800-page novels sitting in the bookstore, one after the other after another. And uh, you know, I had to kind of work my way up to get the courage to tackle that. So I'm on book two of the Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan right now. It's going okay. I can't say I'm, you know, can't wait to read every page, but it's pretty good so far. And I anticipate as I get to know the characters, it get a little better. Um, so anyway, I waited for a dark and stormy night where I could focus on the new Tomb Raider game and fired it up this past uh, two weeks. Uh, so first impressions, uh, you know, first of all, if you've been playing a game like Lotro for a while, as pretty as it is, uh, you know, the graphic models and so forth are, are dated, uh, compared to newer games on the marketplace. So it certainly is, you know, kind of a breath of fresh air to look at what, um, you know, a modern game can do and to understand that my graphics card can still handle it at least right now. Um, you know, it really, it plays almost like a movie as you're watching it. Um, in terms of the environments and the way your character interacts with them. And it looks to me like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, from a graphic standpoint, uh, Lara Croft is easy on the eyes, as always, even though she's pictured a bit younger uh, than she is in some of uh, the other games that we've seen her in. Uh, but, I, you know, obviously what I really like is the kind of the dirty, gritty feel uh, versus typical Tomb Raider games of the past. You know, there are consequences as Laura's moving through the landscape if, uh, you know, the narrative has her get a spike through her through her side or, you know, lash her wrist or slide through the mud. Um, you know, she she's looking pretty disheveled, uh, and it gives it more realism, uh, typically, to have your, your avatar, uh, you know, suffering those kinds of pitfalls with lasting consequences. Um, you know... The storms in the game, caves, waterfalls, kind of structures from lost planes and ships all washed up on the island. They're all very atmospheric. Um, the user interface is kind of, uh, I don't know if it's super intuitive, but it's you know it's pretty cutting edge and it fits the tone of the game very well. Uh, one of the things I've been most surprised at is the voice acting, I think, has been excellent. Um, so the story that they're telling is a fairly riveting story and you know I haven't really found a weak link in the characters that we've met you know sometimes some your your character will say something as you hmm I wonder what's in this box and it kind of just completely takes you out of the story because it's not anywhere near something that they would actually say but you know I find all the commentary in the game to be kind of adding to the layers of atmosphere rather than distracting from them uh, and uh, you know again there's appears to be quite a bit of mystery on the island to uncover what's going on there. Um, as far as gameplay is concerned, I've only found one or two of the dungeon puzzles so far. I do like that aspect of it. Uh, the combat, there's there's kind of two kinds, I'd say. There's maybe open combat where you know, you're in an area and there's enemies and you can duck and cover and you can use your arrows and guns and sneak up on them sometimes silently and get them from behind. Or uh, you know, I'd call that kind of open combat. And then there's kind of these scenes which are more scripted where your character will kind of, you press forward to lead through actions, but what they're doing is kind of preset and you have to hit certain key combinations at certain times to get them out of a jam. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, it's, I understand why they do that. Um, it serves a purpose to move the story forward in a way that, you know, maybe you couldn't do if the person, if it was open combat and the person was making choices that don't lead to, you know, um, the narrative or the story. Uh, so I, I like the open combat a little better than the scripted combat, but they both serve a purpose. And uh, and the the deaths and so forth, if you, uh, if you don't hit the right key combination at the right time, are pretty grisly. So I would say not a game for young kids. Uh, there is an open world map. Um, I don't feel like it's very open right now. I feel like I'm being led through. Um, but I think that'll change over time as I discover more areas and get closer or further into the story. So I think this is going to be a fun one. Uh, I'll keep you posted periodically and maybe do a final review more depth once I play through. Uh, but that could be a while. And uh, if there's any other interesting mechanics that pop up that I think are worthy of note, I'll continue to comment on them. Okay, uh, with that, let's move on to our fifth beacon, Min Rimon.
Okay, now we're at the part of the podcast where we would normally have a word from our sponsors. But um, I think some of our sponsors have been so excited about uh, you know, sponsoring the podcast. Uh, they've had such positive results in you know, their sales and so forth that um, one of them in particular has set in a sample for us to try on the air uh, this, this, uh, this week uh, to say thanks for you know, supporting the podcast. And, and uh, it's actually um, a slice of Barrow Brie here that I have packed that's been sent uh, you know, from the manufacturer. I'm opening up the box now as we speak. I'm just going to kind of describe it to you as we go. Um, you know, it's a cardboard box. Inside, there's a, a plastic sleeve. So I'm opening up the sleeve now. And uh, there's a big hunk of cheese inside. Woo! Certainly, that smell is quite pungent. <clears throat> um, so, uh, first impression, it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's... Some of those cheeses, like a blue cheese, they have a little bit of, you know, the, uh, what would you call it, mold, I guess. It, you know, it's part cheese, part mold. That's the way blue cheese is. So there, there's quite a bit of mold on this piece of cheese, I got to say. Uh, it doesn't look uh, spectacularly appetizing. But, um, you know, this is a demonstration. They are our sponsor, so I feel kind of obligated. Uh, we're going to cut off a little piece. Uh, try to find one with as little green stuff on it as possible. And, uh, all right. Feeling my gorge coming up a little bit, but we're going to put a piece inside of our mouth. Okay. It's not bad. It's it's not bad at all. One, if you were a viewer, might even say it was delicious. You might say that. You might not. But it... It, it does have a nice consistency to it. Um, you know, if you like a heavy, hearty, pungent blue cheese. Okay. Well, the second piece, I'm noting a little bit of acidity. Kind of tends to get stuck a little bit in the back of your throat. <coughs> it's definitely a strong taste. It reminds me a little, a little of what... Little of what it is, it, remi <coughs> it reminds me of Edsel's. It, it's certainly better than those nasty titles you always get with a hobbit breakfast. <coughs> I'd like to leave some for later, but the fat one is always watching. Golem. Golem. I could give some to her. Yes, she's always hungry. She always needs to feed. All she gets is oxes. And they don't taste very nice, do they? So, try barrel brie with your mac and cheese. It makes me ogle's tummy fill up with clay. Like the precious. Back to you, Bragg, you fat hack. Okay, I had to take a break on that one. I uh, had to grab some lembus bread and an ale. Uh, clear out the old <coughs> throat there. So that was fun. Um, uh, I have the rest of the sample and uh, putting it in an old freezer that we have here. If any of the viewers out there are interested in trying some Barrow Brie, uh, send me a self-addressed and stamped envelope and uh, I'll forward it along. I don't think uh, the refrigeration factor is really going to make much of a difference. Uh, but that's our sponsor uh, episode for this week. Uh, let's move on to our sixth beacon, Callanhad. Callanhad this week, uh, I've got a segment that I like to call the evolution of a kid. So, um, you know, many of you out there, I'm sure, have joined kins in Lord of the Rings Online and other games, other MMOs. Uh, it's you know it's a pretty integral part of the experience uh, for most people. Um, obviously, as we've gone free to play and as the player base demographic has shifted and the the industry around MMOs has shifted, the kin is maybe not as central um, a social structure as it once was. But I wanted to talk a little bit about my experience with kins in the past 
and see if it might shed some light or provide some advice or tips for others. So I'm going to break this up into uh, different phases of my experience with my first kin uh, in Lotro and in any game. And the first section is called The Invitation. So within days of my first starting to play the game, uh, I was in Bree, one of my first ventures there, after coming over from Thorns Hall, the Dwarf Starter area, and I uh, responded to a general call-out in Bree um, to talk to a kin leader who was recruiting. And uh, this was a new phenomenon for me. I'd seen uh, other kins recruiting around the game, and, uh, you know, I really didn't want to respond at first, uh, didn't want to get dragged into something. You know, I felt like I was such a noob, had so much to learn that uh, you know, I was pretty embarrassed, actually, and uh, you know, wasn't sure if joining a kin was right for me until I gained some more experience. So I think I'd spend the first few weeks in the game kind of ignoring all the calls for kins. Uh, but as I you know, learned more about kins, I became a little more intrigued and decided you know, maybe I'd respond to one of these invites um, you know, and, and see where it might lead. What's the worst that could happen? I could, uh, you know, leave the kin and and um, and try another one down the road when I was ready. Um, so this was not a random invite with no prior introduction. That's one of my biggest pet peeves in the game is when someone walks up to you in Bree and and issues you an invite into a kin or a fellowship and doesn't even introduce themselves or tell tell you what they're doing. They just assume that you'll help them. <laughs> Please don't do that. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, so I ignored these, you know, these kin invites for several, several weeks, nervous of what would be expected of me if I responded, but eventually I did reply to one as I just wanted to explore this aspect of the game since I'd never played an MMO before. I had no expectations really from my end, um, just curiosity. And the next phase that followed is what I like to call the halcyon days of, of my kin shipping. Um, so Shadows of Angmar was out. Moria was still months away. And, uh, you know, the kin that I joined uh, was named Eriador's Knights. Um, it was not a big kin, but, uh, or as Daniel Webster might say, it is, not, uh, it is not a large kin, but there are those of us who love it. So uh, every login uh, each evening was a, a gathering of friends. And every new instance was an adventure with no judgment on your knowledge or preparedness. You know, people in the kin knew I was a new guy. I admitted right away that I was new to MMOs and needed lots of guidance. And uh, the kin had folks from all personalities and all walks of life. Um, you know, young kids, you know, older mothers that were playing with their kids, uh, you know, uh, college age folks, older folks, and, you know, kind of all over the map. And when I logged in, there were at least six or seven people on every night, so there was always something to do. Um, I still have screenshots uh, of us sitting on the throne of Mordrith or procuring the flawless scale of Lugrian for my guard's class deed or standing over Sorvagon and Helagrad, etc. for the first time that we tried and succeeded with all those things. And... Um, it was a great experience. Um, you know, I still have friends in the game, actually, uh, from way back in those days. Um, if I had to, I'm going to forget some names and I'll be embarrassed, but uh, our old kin leaders, Draven and Jessica, uh, my first mentor in the game, uh, Fariana, um, Short Pint, Revil, Baragol, uh, Daga Champ, and, uh, you know, the list goes on and on, including. Uh, including Dolph Gand and, and Wizio and some of those guys. So um, it was a great time. And uh, you know, then the phase approach that I would call would be the inflection point. Uh, sometime maybe mid-Moria release, our kin leader, uh, who was in the military, had to leave on an extended tour of duty. <laughs> Can't blame him for that. Um, you know, this kind of stuff happens in real life. Uh, but... What I did regret a little bit is that he didn't really set up a succession in the kin for who would lead after his departure. Um, he just was gone one day, and I learned through another kin member that he had to leave for military tour of duty. And um, there, you know, he didn't uh, leave the game, so his his character was still there. We weren't really sure how long he'd be gone or if he might come back. 
And, you know, attendance in the kin started to wane without an active leader, uh, you know, just even occasionally sending out messages or organizing folks. Um, You know, eventually over time, what happens in the kin is if your kin leader does not log in is eventually the position is abdicated and becomes vacant. And at that point, you know, any person in the kin who uh, wants to can, uh, you know, usurp the kinship or can take it over. Um, So at that point, I was the most active member of the kin at that point. Uh, You know, I was, you know, uh, deeply entrenched in the game in the Minds of Moria days. I was playing every night that I could get on, and I was really the most active person that was in the kin. So... Although I didn't really want to be a leader and I didn't feel like it was, you know, something I was interested in trying, I felt like I kind of owed it to the kin to, you know, at least take the mantle and um, keep the ship on course until someone else, you know, stepped up that wanted to do it or until our kin leader returned. So, um, you know, I held events from time to time and I tried to keep communications flowing, but I wouldn't say my heart was really in it. It just wasn't what I had set out to do in the game. And the biggest part for me is I don't really like active recruiting. So I, I'm not the guy that sits in Bree and sends out the messages saying, interested in a great kin that's casual and does this and does that? Give us a tell. You know, that's just not what I like to do with my gaming time. And, and uh, you know, I feel like if I recruit people, then I have to be active about organizing the game. And I, you know, I already played too much. I didn't want to overcommit and not be able to have the playing time that I was enjoying. Um, also... How do you recruit someone into a kin that you know is in decline? Um, you know, I just didn't feel right doing that, knowing that people were showing up less and less and that there were fewer things to do and inviting someone new into that kind of scenario. Yeah, it can breed new life if you get a bunch of people at once, but uh, it doesn't feel right if the kin is shrinking instead of growing. So we approached the next phase, which was stagnation. You know, one by one, active names... Uh, in the kin started to peel off and join other groups that they were had more in common with or more friends with or were more active. Sometimes they'd leave a lesser alt behind as a consolation prize or just to keep in touch with people. And slowly I began to purge names from the kin that have not logged in in a significant period of time. I started out with, I think, two years and then a year and a half and then down to one year and eventually six months. Just because I didn't like look at all the empty pages of folks that hadn't logged in in a long time. Uh, I know there's some kins that keep hundreds of pages. They never kick anybody. So I wasn't really actively recruiting. Um, you know, I held together the kin with one or two good friends and occasional login from an old acquaintance back to check in on new content. But these happened less and less. And then the next phase started for me, which is that I started to see other people. I still had an appetite to do instances and raids and new content, and I started looking for opportunities to place some of my alts that I had been leveling in other kins, uh, just to see what they were like. Remember, I'd only ever tried one kin before in my life, and it was a great experience for me, but I really didn't have a good cross-section of what the different kins out there could offer and what they were like. So, uh, partially to enhance grouping opportunities, but all Also partially out of curiosity, I started to have some of my alts join other kins. Um, I had one that joined the biggest kin on the server. Uh, So it's kind of fun to see someone from your kin in most places you go, but it felt really impersonal to me. Um, You know, I didn't even recognize a, a fraction of the names of the folks that were on. And I felt like the kin was kind of too big to get past its own weight. Uh, you know, there were a lot of people, a lot, lot of Indians and not a lot of chiefs, um, you know, organizing people and keeping things busy. Uh, when when they did hold kin events and got a lot of people together and did things, it was fun to see that many folks in one place. But really, there wasn't really that much grouping or instance rating going on. Um, you know, folks would be happy to help. And uh, it was fun to see people around. But again, it didn't have that kind of personal, intimate feeling that I'd have with my first kin and that I was looking for. Um, so I also joined some other kins, and as you join the other kins, I realized some of those kins were maybe not as small as mine yet, but we're getting there. Uh, you know, not dead yet, but you could see it coming. Um, you know, you could see that, uh, you know, you get messages from the kin leader saying, I'm going to try to get more active because things have been dying down and we've been losing people and, you know, but we're going to do some stuff and it's going to turn it around. (laughs) 
In my experience, when you start getting messages like that from your kin leader, <laughs> your kin's not going to turn around. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Um, you know, I have been with kins that did merges with other small kins and maybe reignited things, you know, at least uh, for a time that way, but it's uh, it doesn't happen that often. And then I also joined some heavy-duty raiding kins. And what I found, it's at least in my experience, what's common to some of those heavy-duty raiding kins is uh, exposure to kin drama. <laughs> you know, I think min-maxers and people that are high achievers uh, have a little less tolerance for people, you know, in the groups that don't know what they're doing or that aren't raid-ready. You know, they're, they're very focused on their own objectives. Not true of everyone, but um, I've seen it on enough raiding kins to know that it's it's not uncommon. So I get, you get, you start seeing messages where, you know, people rage quit and they send out kinwide notes about it. And then you, the kin leader comes on and says, I talked to so-and-so and, -so, and you know, they're really sorry, but they're moving on and all this other stuff. And I don't need that kind of stuff. I'm playing a game. <laughs> so what I've noticed is I, you know, I'm faced with a bit of a paradox. Um, if you're playing different kin alts on different kins, you're not really on one alt enough to build a strong relationship with any one kin. Uh, but you know, haven't felt attracted enough by any one kin to make a long-term commitment with all of my tunes um, to have them all in the same one, so that I'm always seeing the same people on and on. So it could just be luck or bad luck that I haven't run into the perfect situation for me. Uh, so I wait. And years pass. So the latest phase I'm in, current the current affairs. Um, just recently this week, after I guess, geez, four or five years of kin leadership, I handed over kin leadership to an old friend who may be inspired to try to grow it again. And that makes me a provost for the first time in a long time. So why have I stayed with the kin I've been in for so long? Uh, I think there's an element of loyalty to a few faithful friends. Uh, there's some an element of nostalgia over the good times I had and over the old kin house, which I often had all to myself. It was kind of fun to have the extra storage and be able to put trophies out that I didn't have room for in my own house. Um, you know, partially because I felt like I never found another perfect fit. Maybe there isn't one anymore out there. Um, you know, maybe I don't really need an active kin at this stage of the game moving forward. But every once in a while, I pug with a group that's mostly from the same kin, and there's banter and laughter and, and uh, you know familiarity. No one rage quitting, rage quitting or loot poaching or ignoring instructions. And I think, yeah, if only I could find that again. Well, sometimes we can't go back, can we? There, but not back again. So here's a few tips I have for finding your own kin fit. First of all, don't be afraid to try before you buy. Um, if someone invites you to a kin in Brie and you're actually looking for one, talk to them and ask them about the personality of the kin. How long have they been around? What rank are they? Do they have a kin house? How often do they do events for kin and what kind of events? You know, do they do RP events? Do they have a lot of PVMP players? Uh, do they have bands within the kin? Um, you know, do they do horse races or shows or fashion shows? Are they active in raids and instances? How many active players are there on average at any one time uh, in a particular evening? Here's an Im most important one, I think. What times are most people normally active? There are kins that are form around certain time zones um, so that most of their players can be on at the same time. And are they typically helpful for new players? Uh, so all those kinds of questions will give you a feel for what the people in the kin do and whether they have interests in common with yours. So here's some other considerations. If the guy you're talking to is not willing to discuss these things with you before you join, to me it's a red flag. <laughs> if they don't ask you questions before you join, that can also be a red flag. That means the kin might be willing to accept almost anybody. And then you might get some malcontents involved or some folks that you don't have much in common with. Um, I would, once you do get an invite, look at the kin login history and verify the information that was provided to you about how active they are. And monitor the kin chat for an evening or two and get a feel for the tone of the content and how hopeful, helpful, and vocal the people are. You can even check out the kin house. So, 
requesting, you know, recommendations for good kins randomly in world chat is kind of a crapshoot. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, doing online research for, um, you know, kin websites or forum active people that are active in the forums um, can be a lot of work. Can also be a bit misleading. You might find a lot of out of date content there as well. It's an option. Um, you know, more information is good. But what I'd probably recommend most of all, and what I've done in the past, is uh, pug some group content. And whenever you run into someone that you have a good time with, who's friendly, and you enjoyed spending the time with them with the content that you did, uh, put them on your friend list. Um, then, if you go through your kin list and inspect a number of folks, and you see that there are some common threads of kins that they're uh, involved with, uh, as you inspect your friends, that might be a good place to start. I wish you luck on your kin's journey, and may you find what you're looking for on the other side of the Misty Mountains. That brings us to our seventh beacon, Halatherian closing, blessed closing, the end of the 13th lucky episode of Light the Beacons. Lindsay Buckingham can kiss my dwarf butt kiss. So I'd love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. There are several people that have told me that my episodes have had volume problems over the last few, and I think I've got them licked. Please let me know. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's brag with two eyes. The second A stands for A-list actors. On Facebook or Twitter at Bragg Son of Balan, my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast, and I kindly request you to take the time to create an iTunes review if perchance you are so inclined. I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond to them in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your time this week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, Son of Balance, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, when the chips are down and you suddenly realize that the Feast of Drakes is not a solo quest after all, don't despair. Light those beacons. Light those beacons.